Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Great Riff Podcast. I'm David. I'm Jamie. Hello Jamie, how are you mate? Okay, thanks, how are you? It's been, been ages. Yeah, it has been ages, it has been ages. It's a um, standard line I've used for many episodes of just too much work and not enough hobby at the moment. Um, but it's good to be rocking and rolling again. I, I, yeah, definitely. Like I said, pre, pre-recording, I've actually been very much in the world of Gaunt's Ghosts the last couple of weeks. I've been just smashing through all the audiobooks. They're fucking really good. Even though I've read them about ten times, I'm loving it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess uh, on that note... The first of Gaunt's ghost novel series. Yeah. So yeah, the it's... Um, it was... Old. <laughs> I was 12 years old. That's insane. Could be one of his first first books as well, surely. Yeah, I think it might be. And uh, you know, um, he is a fantastic writer, but you can feel it a bit like you can with um, Xenos. With um, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. You can feel this this writer kind of finding his feet and and and, and what he's trying to achieve. But I will give him massive credit for this. I don't think anyone writes soldiers being soldiers better than Dan Abnett. Just yeah, it's, he's it's very so good at- strong. Yeah, he's very good at writing the um, the standard soldier. Not, yeah, it's, yeah, not, it's not mad. Space Marines, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's good. Yeah, and I think it's um, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's an obvious comparison because he has said it himself. But it's based on um, what's it called? Uh, Sharp, uh, Bernard Cromwell. Yeah, you know, he said Dan Abner literally just. I think we when when we saw him at Black Library uh, at games uh, at, the, at GW couple of years ago he literally said it's it's sharp in space it's the same sort of rollicking adventures but instead of napoleon it's chaos <laughs> yeah, yeah. One, one and the same yeah one, but, you know, one yeah i'd same. agree like when you re- read it it's very much that even down if you re- listen to the audiobook as well they've even got like scottish irish accents yeah. and, and it's you know and it's got and not to go at the point but gaunt himself is a you know an officer but He's not. He's a political officer, not you know, not high-born officer. So it's it's all got very similarities to to Sharp, but in a good way. In, in a, a good way. way. Yeah. It's um. What, what's that saying? Um, good artists borrow, great artists steal. You know. Yeah. You, you, everything is inspirational and nothing is original. And he's he's not just slapdashed a coat of las guns over it and said, "Here you go." <laughs> it's its own beast and it's its own thing and it's very very terrifying at points, but. It has the spirit, that adventure spirit of of sharp in it for sure. And I, I keep yeah. trying to I keep trying to convince my dad to read these because my dad is a massive sharp fan. I remember as a kid he had all the hardbacks on our on a shelf in the living room. <laughs> so um, yeah, Same here. yeah. I wish I wish he'd pick these up because I think he'd really enjoy them. Yeah, um, definitely. So I guess starting from the beginning, for those that don't know. Who is Sharp, I guess? I know you touched on it a little bit, but I think it might be interesting to just, before we go to the story... So Sharp. Who is Sharp? <laughs> who is Gaunt? And who are the Tanith? Yeah, so, um, well, as as the series name suggests, uh, Gaunt's Ghost, this is... Our main character is um, Colonel Commissar Ibram Gaunt at this point of the story. So he's currently a Colonel Commissar. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I guess I mean people listen to this probably know who a commissar is, but um, it's a if you don't, it's a political officer. So he basically enforces um, that people stay, like the soldiers stay in line, like mm-hmm. 
like a sort of a commissar in the right in Russian World War Two. That sort of yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of role. So uh, the, the typical image of them is shooting their own soldiers if they retreat, etc. So yeah, they have a very. I think it's interesting to just before we go into why he's a colonel commissar, and not just a commissar, just the commissariat and and their role. They're so hard nosed and so. They're, what's their job role, right? Their job role is um, ensuring cowardice is crushed out of any any soldier, be it a general or a war master, right through to a common trooper. It could be any la- layer. He has ultimate authority to execute on site if he deems them not doing their job properly. So they're yeah, quite, they're quite horrible people, really. You've got to have all humanity crushed out of you to be effective. Yeah, and even goes up to the, the sort of... It's kind of like the Inquisition uh, has this authority even over um, like, over Space Marines. Like commissars have this authority even over like um, officers. Like they're just it's like a separate entity. Like their their rank um, because of their training, etc. That you know, any they can um, tackle anyone and say you know you've you're not acting correctly to the to your duty, and therefore I, I challenge you to. Uh, yeah. to a jaw, and that, that does happen at one point in the story, and they also, yeah, they're, they're, the typical view of a of a commissar in 40k is um, not nice, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, um, without going into spoilers of later books, I've just come across a situation where some senior officials, not within the Tanith, but within other regiments that they're aligned against, uh, with uh, for defence of a major hive, one of them is very incapable and actually switches off his comms unit when stuff starts to fall apart. So so Corbeck, actually, who we'll come on to later, who's a very loved character, picks up the reins. He's on the front lines of this wall and he holds it all together and Gaunt is very grateful and a couple of other characters that are, are up and coming help pull, 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 pull all the regiments together. Not just Tanif, you know, Corbeck is like pulling in the, the locals, as they call them. And it's when it's the first time you actually see Gaunt do a very commissariat thing and go find that general and just say to him, do you want a firing squad or do you want me to do it? And as he tries to run out of the room, Corn just executes him there and there. So, yeah. you know, but it's really interesting that um, <clears throat> the juxtaposition with Gorn is that he's actually very fair compared to most other commissars you ever meet in any book where they're normally such horrible bastards that, that any chance they get, they'll execute a trooper. Gorn isn't like that. His men fight for him. Um, and they, they, they will do anything for him. And that's not through like weird manipulation, he's just a very, very good leader. Um, yeah, I think he's just like a natural, he's a natural, a natural leader. Yeah, he's a natural leader for sure. Um, but going go back to the point you made, Jamie, that he's a, a, a colonel commissar, that's a really bizarre situation to be in, in the 41st millennium. It's not actually really a regular thing, is it? No, so usually they have you have your... General officers from the like the army, the 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 guard, and then usually a commissar is separate to that who sort of oversees everything from a political sort of standpoint of view. But um, as we find out the history about the the Tanith is that actually they didn't as he was as they were being recruited from their planet, their planet got destroyed literally, and that's why they're the first and only, which is their, their sort of tagline yeah. that they they shout is because once they raise this army. They could raise no one else, yeah. so actually their numbers are dwindling, and um, because and they didn't have, I guess, a lot of the major officers have died out or um, or never even got recruited at the time. That actually, it's born is the overseeing 
highest ranking officer. Yeah. So they're yeah. actually being led by a commissar in terms of military and uh, duty. So yeah, yeah it is, it's, it's it an is unusual. Yeah, it's very interesting. His colonel commissar rank. So he's now, you know, he's no longer a, just a commissar. He's been told, go sort out this regiment because they're a bunch of, you know, kind of like woodsmen, essentially. Yeah, rough woodsmen. Trackers, aren't they? Yeah, trackers and hunters. The first thing Gaunt thinks when he sees them is a bit, oh, great, what have I... Because he's just come from a regiment of renown, essentially. You know, this sort of the Hyken, Hyken 8th, where that's where he made his name, is working with them, and they were a really, really effective, well-loved and known regiment. And then he picks up this bunch of bearded, tattooed, Scotsman, essentially, um, which is fucking cool. Um, so I guess, yeah, that sort of wraps up Gorn a little bit. Um, so should we touch on the Tanith as a whole? None of the characters, just who are the Tanith? And I know you mentioned that the reason they're the first and only is because they lost their homeworld. The day, the day of the founding, so the day that they were being put onto ships for being sent towards to supporting the crusade. Um, Chaos attacks their planet because it wasn't defended properly, because the War Master made a mistake, uh, and, and, and Gorn has to make a difficult decision, which is stand and die, or save, yeah. save what we can, and fight another day, and he makes the, that decision, it's, we're never going to save this planet, I might as well save what I can, but who are the Tanith, who, what, what, what's their sort of character as a whole? Yeah, I guess if you, um, I think as you said, they're sort of they're not. I think the world in general is probably wasn't the most highly um, technical. I guess, as you can say, they're all like trackers. They're all their natural instincts are. They're very good at being sort of scouts. They're they're great at um, being in the front line and hunting down the enemy. Um, they they got this ability where they've got these cloaks, sort of like uh, I guess like Harry Potter invisibility cloaks, where basically they seem to like disappear and they they really they blend in with. Um, Blend in with the environment really well, so that's that's kind of what their their role is. They're sort of sharp sharpshooters. Um, as we said before, sharp. They're kind of like riflemen in that in that world. Is that they're yeah they're, they're kind of used as scouts a lot in in, yeah, in the world. Yeah, and I think it's um, I think that's absolutely right. You know, they they they're pictured as they wear head to toe black, or as they're described as wearing you know black trousers, mm-hmm. black overalls. These really really sort of well-loved, well-protected um, camo cloaks. And yeah, you're right. They don't really specialise in many other weapons other than las guns and um, upgraded versions to be sniper rifles, right? Like, And we see a lot of that. But there's not actually... You, know, you compare it to other un- uh, uh, regiments that specialise in anti-tank weaponry with las cannons everywhere or grenade launchers everywhere or whatever it might be. They seem to just stick with the las gun and the occasional rocket launcher and flamethrower. So they're very, yeah. very, very anti-infantry specialist attacks. But, but like I said, it's even weirder when you see them against other regiments that we meet in the stories, like the Jantine positions, or the the Vitrian, I think they're called, one of the other regiments that's in this book, that wear, like, scaled armour. You know, they're heavy infantry. But yeah, yeah. Las, Las rifles don't necessarily get through that kind of armour, so they're ve- the Tanith are very light infantry. Um, one point I wanted to just mention before we move on to the actual story was that the homeworld of Tanith itself is I, I, it's so bizarre. The reason they're such good trackers is it's a forest planet. You know, it's, it's, hev- it's heavily dense, to, like very dense 
um, forest, but it's a weird breed of tree that moves. Like moves, they, yeah. They don't, they don't stay rooted. They move around to find resource and stay alive. So it's that kind of creepy. Uh, I've got Hanson. When I think of their forest, I think of Hanson and Gretel. Like I think of those sort of like old fable stories of forests that you could disappear in and never come back out of again. Which is why they yeah. obviously learn over time to be such good trackers. They can always find where they need to go. Yeah, they, they don't use they don't use landmarks to find where they're going. They just have this sort of instinct. Yeah. I think there's even a bit where they're in complete darkness, and he says, "I'm just basically going on instinct about where which yeah. way to go." So yeah, and also okay. I think a lot of those and to put about them sort of they're all kind of Celtic as well, aren't they? They're all all their names are very, very Irish or Scottish, and they're yes. sort of Celtic words used in their names and, and yeah. the language they use so and um ever so brave heart ever so slightly they all have they're all rugged and tattooed with blue tattoos on their faces so it kind of i don't think it necessarily links to their the tattoos they have linked to their line of work but i think it might be nods to things they care about so some will have like a star on their cheek or a crescent moon or um, one character well, that has a dragon doesn't he a blue dragon yeah or one of them has a fish like he used to be a fisherman he's got like a small fish tattoo on his face and they've got like piercings and there's you regularly see officers from other regiments their point of view going bloody who the hell are these ruffians like they don't know they can do any work and they always get yeah. pre- they always get proven wrong you know the tanif are well respected eventually by everyone yeah they're definitely respected by the um the what do they call them who's leading it uh, uh He's leading the Sabbat. Oh, uh, Warlord Makaroth. Yeah, Makaroth, yeah. So Slado, the original Warlord, gave Gaunt his deathbed promotion and told him to raise the Tanith. And then um, then the new Warlord, as you said, he's the one where that's where this story comes into it. There's a bit of contention about who should have been the new new Warlord. Yeah, you find out there's a bit of a power struggle. um, Yeah, exactly. Which apparently gets more and more prevalent as the books go on. Um, I think think there's even one book called Warmaster, which is probably going to be all about that. Um, But yeah, for now, it's not that prevalent, is it, in the story, really. um, really, Um, This book is pretty much a scene-setting book for for who the Tanif are. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. great. Um, cool. So before we go into the story, I think we should just touch on a couple of the characters. And as as we were talking about before the before we started the recording, Jamie, there's an exceptional amount of characters in Gaunt's Ghosts um, to the point where sometimes, where especially when you're listening to one on an audiobook, you get introduced to one, and you know that you've not heard that name, and they've been introduced because they're about to die. It happens <laughs> all the time. It's like here's da 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 da. And then he gets his face shot off. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess we should probably cover off a handful of the more important ones. Starting, we've done, we've done Gorn. Um, I don't think there's much else we need to cover off with Gorn. We've, we've, we've sort of done a nice little bit of an analysis. I think there. we'll, as we get, in, as we talk about the story, we'll discuss him again. So, yeah. So, I think there's there's two major characters really that um, I definitely want to touch on, and the rest we can do a little bit of lighter touch. But um, Corbeck. Um, uh, Colonel Corbeck, uh, tell me a little bit about him. Um, yeah, he's. I think he's one of the most more memorable and likable of all all the characters. Um, yeah. That you, as we get there, he's um, he's quite. I think kind of physically, he's quite big. I think he's bigger than most of the Tanif. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, he's quite big, bulky. Um, I'm trying to think. I think he's got the typical look of most of them. Kind of, uh, even though he's a, as you say, he's a, a colonel. He's probably quite um, got, got quite a big beard, long hair. Sort of, it's uh, even yeah, as you say, it's not the typical look of officers. But the officers are all smart, and and the troopers aren't. I think pretty he, much. He's, he's a different kind of smart. Calm, calm, yeah, yeah. He's he's a kind of. It's hard to explain. It's that kind of. He's tough as nails and can fight like a machine. They yeah. just, he seems to have everyone's respect purely because he's a nice man. He's very well loved. Very very well loved. I think. Yeah, he's definitely one of those officers that doesn't rule with an with an iron fist. He's, yeah. Yeah. Um, he's got. I think he's got like blue. We talked about tattoos. He's got like blue spirals or something going up his arms as yeah. well. So. Yeah. 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 So I, I love him. I think he's one of my favourite characters in any Dan Abnett story. He's um he's just yes, yeah, like I said earlier that I'm a bit further ahead in the audiobooks. I'm on book three, and he he's very prevalent because he's you know he's basically Gaunt's best mate um, by this by, yeah. by that point. Um, <clears throat> yeah, he's that sort of dependable best friend you can have. He's the the, the Samwise Gamgee to the Frodo of the story. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think. There's a there's a bit in the, near the end of the story where you see his his heroic nature and fighting to the last. So yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Um, he's he's bloody brilliant and he's funny as well. He's light-hearted um, and a chain smoker, which I really like. Like he's um, it gets worse and worse. He stumbles across these liqueur or licorice style roll up roll up cigarettes that that becomes like people associate that with him quite heavily, uh, character-wise, which I find quite cool. Um, but it's interesting how he came in to be an officer, and it goes for the next character we'll talk about. As you mentioned earlier, Tanith gets obliterated, um, and they lose their entire um, officer function. Uh, it all gets annihilated. So yeah, I think there's only like three regiments, don't they? They only really get three regiments from the whole planet, and no civilians. Yeah, is... they only they only managed to get one onto the ship because it was already boarded. They were the first lot on, so it's basically everyone that was on there, bar. A couple of characters and Gaunt that are the last off on a ship, which is in the follow-up book. You see that um, the other two regiments hadn't boarded; and they're the ones that just get absolutely obliterated. So they lose all of their. All the officers were on the ground doing the sending the troops up to the transports. So yeah, Corbeck uh, uh, becomes colonel just because he's the first one to go and talk to Gaunt, <laughs> <laughs> and you, you see it a lot more later, but. Basically, it's him and another character called Rawn, Major Rawn. They basically, yeah. they basically just have the ear of the of of the Tanith, and they take it upon themselves to go and talk to Gaunt and understand why he made them leave the planet. Um, one wants more of an explanation; the other wants to go and kill him, <laughs> and uh, and they get field promotions there and then because they have the bollocks to come and talk to him, which is yeah. just shows Gaunt, Gaunt's natural ability to see the good in people. And their ability. Uh, so that's Corbeck. I think Ron, who we just touched on, is the other major character, um, and he's a big part of the of the, of the story. He's, yeah, he's, he looks the opposite. He's he's the yin to the yang for Corbeck. Yeah. yeah. So he he is a major in charge of a separate platoon. So I think Gaunt has platoon one. Uh, Corbeck has platoon two. Ron has platoon three. Ron hates Gaunt with his every fibre of his being and if he gets a chance to kill him he will because he wanted to stay on Tanith and die with Tanith um, and feels that he had that taken away from him which I think is quite sad um, <laughs> and I, it's, it's, it's understandable but um, he's he's absolutely merciless he's a really good fighter 
that's why Gaunt keeps him where he is, is that keep your friends close and your enemies closer kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Um, he's also meant to, isn't he, I think he's he's quite from a wealthy background maybe on Tanith as well and he's, he's um, I think he's not quite as... Uh, Shaggy in appearance, he's a bit he's, more. He's actually he's really as handsome. Yeah, he's really, really handsome, and the features of a knife or something like that. Like he's really angular, and hmm. yeah, if I remember correctly, he was yeah he was born into like a sort of business or a merchant family or something like that, but fell into bad crowds. Like he was more interested in doing gangster related stuff, like a bit of sort of low key gang warfare kind of thing. Because he definitely had killed people before he joined the TANF. That's why he did it. Because I think he was escaping something. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ron is awesome. Ron is um, not... There's the name for it, and I can't remember it. The malcontents, like the sort of the dodgy parts of the company that Gorn isn't too sure on. He kind of just puts them all on Ron. So Ron can yeah. slap him into shape. So anyone that's a bit dodgy and not trustworthy sort of works alongside Ron, which I quite like. Yeah, and you don't really, in this book, if you're just reading this book, you probably don't, he doesn't come off as a hugely likeable character until near the end, where actually there's, there's a bit of a twist with his character and, and the storyline, but um, yeah, he's kind of not hugely likeable in this, I guess, as you, as you read more, and as you said, in other, as the series continues, he probably gets more likeable, but oh, in, yeah. this one, yeah. in this one, he's... Um, He's sinister in this one a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's um, it's it's so uh, at the forefront of his mind. You know, the book probably takes place only a couple of months within the planet dying, so it's all very raw. Um, but yeah, it's it's he's a great character. There's a couple more which I think are worth a quick shout, and they'll become more pervadent as the books go on. But um, McColl McColl is actually just a sergeant, but he's um, in charge of the scouts of Tanith. Um, and yeah. I think I think he's really cool because all of them are scouts essentially they're all light infantry designed to get behind enemy lines and be invisible but he's next level like he, he, he can literally disappear from in front of people and they don't know how he does it yeah and just like reappears again doesn't yeah. he just like yeah a bit like Batman <laughs> Batman just vanishes <laughs> oh, where the fuck has he gone yeah, yeah. Um, then there's um, Bryn Milo who is um, the only non-soldier in the Tanith he was the only civilian to survive. Um, won't go into too much detail, but he was a um, he's an, he's the adjutant, so he's he's responsible, and he was the adjutant to Gaunt when he landed on Tanith, and that's why he's there because Gaunt helped him get off the planet. Um, and there's a couple other. There's Mad Larkin, who's the best sniper in the in the regiment. He's pretty yeah, cool. and he's kind of like the. He doubles up with Ron quite a lot, doesn't he? So. Yeah, so Mad Larkin is much older than the others. He's like in his 40s, I think, um, where the rest of them are sort of 20s, 30s. Yeah. Um, but he's the best sniper in the regiment. Um, but he's also called Mad Larkin because he's fucking insane. Like he's, um, <laughs> yeah. He suffers from aneurysms and, and fevers, uh, like fever dream things where he just sees things. But he, he's got a saying that he can see the truth through the lens of a sniper. So he... Um, that's, he's, he's most calm and normal when he's doing his job, basically. Um, there's Bragg, try again Bragg, who's a um, heavy specialist, so he uses anything that fires loads and loads of bullets because he can't aim properly, but he can hold a heavy bolter un underslung, which for a human shouldn't be possible. He's that big. Yeah, um, he's like the, the fun, he's like the lovable, dumb, 
big guy yeah. of the group. Yeah. You get him in lots of stories of, of yeah. soldiers. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And funny enough, he's in a the, the second book of this, won't go into too much detail, the next book is actually kind of a... I don't think they expected this book to be that pop- this this first book to be so popular. So the second book is actually lots and lots of short stories about all of these characters, um, oh, right. That's good. and and it just builds on them for you really quickly. And then the second half of the book is the rest of the new story, and I re- I do recommend jumping into that as soon as you can because it's it's really cool. Um, and you, there, there's a whole story about bragging it, and you realise that he is yes he's a bit slow, but he's very very things are so black and white for him. That he can kind of tell when people are lying, or when something's not truthful, or when he knows an enemy's going to try a flanking position because that's the sneaky thing to do, and he doesn't like it. So he's got this weird kind of child com- simplicity to the universe that is actually super useful for people like Gorn, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Like his sort of his ability to just say the obvious thing when everyone else is thinking too complex is actually quite an interesting take. Um. Who else? Dorden, the medic. He's not that prevalent in this book, but he's super important later on. Um, he does. I guess the main thing about it is he doesn't. For most of this book, he doesn't. Um, he's taken a vow of like, yeah, not shooting or killing anyone. He's just going to heal. Yeah, so he so doesn't. He doesn't actually have a weapon on him. No. So he was a he was a doctor on. Um, yes, yeah. He was a doctor on Tanith, and he his wife died. Um, few years prior to the regiment being raised and he had nothing to do she died of an illness i think so he just thought sod it i might as well go keep some of the tanith boys alive and now he takes that really seriously because he does that thing of you know if the memory of tanith is alive then tanith is alive so he sees it yeah. as his job to ensure tanith survives I think he lose his children his children died in the explosion as well or something yeah so. yeah so he's lost his entire family so and he's seen as a father figure which he, he hates because He's, he doesn't want to fall into that trap. He's already had children. And I, th- I find that quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so cool. I think, yeah, I, it, sorry listeners if that was a lot of characters to take in, but it's something that <laughs> you just have to get used to with Gorn. Um, there's a lot of characters and lots of names come up to the point where Dan Abnett can't keep track of them, which is quite funny. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, definitely... Uh, love, love Gaunt, love Cobbett, and I love Ron. I think though those three is the sort of three different takes of the Tanith. They're kind of three different versions of them. Um, I think it's yeah, it's very exciting. Um, cool. Shall we talk about the book itself? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think there's it's good. Let's get into it. Into the yeah, meat. man. Yeah. Okay. So. This book has a couple of timey-wimey bits in it, doesn't it? it? It does a bit of jumping backwards and forwards with time, um, which it doesn't do much in the others, weirdly. It seems to just be a sort of thing Dan did in this book. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of to get get a bit of background as well, isn't it, on, on Gaunt? So, yeah. And so it keeps the pace of the, the action going by jumping into the present and yeah. then going back into the past about why, why Gaunt is like he is. I yeah, guess. definitely. I definitely, I think it was the right idea. Definitely, I think. Um, so the book starts with, it's odd. It's a story about infantry fighting on the ground, and it starts with a fighter jet in space, like a patrol interceptor, flying at a million miles an hour, trying to reach a message. Um, and we learn a little bit about message coding, and how they have different color levels. <laughs> And so these pilots are panicking, and they're trying to basically reach this what's called a vermilion level 
astropathic message. So anyone that knows one forty k, astropathic messages are how you pass communications across vast galaxies because you can't do it by email. You can't do it by by hand. You have to ping these sort of thoughts across the ether. Um, Vermilion level is so encrypted that it's literally for the Lords of Terror, and that's about it. You know, it doesn't really go much further than that. Yeah, um, and it's very, very intense opening to the book. This sort of like spaceship being chased by other evil spaceships, knowing yeah. they're, knowing they're going to die. Yeah, so I think I guess it puts the emphasis on what Vermillion is: is that they're willing to sacrifice themselves just to forward on the message. Yeah, and that's all they're doing. They've got the message. Yeah. They've got the message. They have an astropath in their ship, dying, trying to literally forward an email, I'm trying to just ping this message further on down the line. <laughs> to the next astropath with a bunch of fighter jets, chaos fighter jets chasing it, and they get it out, and as soon as they get it out, the ship explodes in a flurry of fire, and they're all dead. And it's just like, hang on a minute, I thought this book was about infantry. <laughs> it reminds me of, you know, when you used to get those messages, if you do not forward this on to six more people, then you'll, you'll yeah, suffer yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, I've got to forward it on quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, so, yeah, we... Uh, and then it does more timey wimey, so it jumps backwards um, to. Well, yeah, it jumps to a young Gaunt, doesn't it? Yeah, so, um... a cadet commissar, Ibram Gaunt, <laughs> who um, he's with the um, he's with the regiment. Hiken Eighth. He's much young, so he must be in his late teens, like eighteen, nineteen by this point. Um, and he has an encounter with a psyker witch. Um, yeah, so I think they just they've. One of the soul, I think he's given his first lead into actions, and they've said, and the guy, I can't remember who sends him off, but the, basically the head of the group said, oh, let Gaunt, let Gaunt try this assault, and let he the wins. Boy. Yeah, let the boy. Yeah, he, let the boy do it, yeah, that's it. And um, he wins, and then they capture this, one of the enemy who starts, this like, woman, he starts babbling, um, like being possessed, and she, she knows his name, which freaks him out, because he's never seen her before, and then she starts... Saying these all these things about uh, does it don't destroy like you'll find your ghosts and mm-hmm. there's the seven pillars or seven stones or something like that and he's like, like totally freaked out. He's like, oh, I just put her, <laughs> take her away and put her in prison. Like, don't they knock her out or something? They knock her out with like a yeah, rifle button. yeah. She she yeah she basically mentions a bunch of names and Tanith. Well, not Tanith. I don't think Tanith by name, but definitely ghosts. She says ghosts, yeah, yeah you'll yeah. find your ghosts and don't destroy the stones, there's the seven yeah, the seven yeah. pillars or something. Just all these random things that come into the story later on as we as we find out. But, um, MacGuffins. <laughs> yeah, MacGuffins, yeah. Loads of MacGuffins, yeah. Loads of psychic MacGuffins. Um so yeah, that's young Gaunt and you can kind of see the how this would happen in, in the movies, right? It would stop on his face, freaked out as a young twenty year old man, and then it would yeah. do that it would do that end of saving private Ryan scene where, where Matt Damon's face goes forward in time and turns into an old man because then it jumps, yeah, exactly. it jumps forward 20 years and we're on um, we're on a, a planet called Fortress Binary um, and we're with Colonel Commissar Gorn so I'd love it if they did that if they ever made it into a film just yeah. go and he's just aged 20 years um, and it, 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 this is interesting because um, you know, me and Jamie always do a quick catch up before these calls to make sure we're aligned. And you, you sum this bit up perfectly. Um, this is basically World War One. This, this yeah. sort of, imagine watching 1917 when you're looking at the mustard gas cloud field of 
derelict uh, countryside essentially. That's what this is. It's um, a disgusting place and I wouldn't want to be there. Yeah, it's like an old um, mechanic and world and it's just been complete. Like, they've, I think the guy who's run, I can't remember who's the, who's the, the war leader at this point who's leading them. It's, um, this is Makarov. Makarov, yeah, and he's just basically, just, he, he would chuck, he said he's like, I would conquer the Ayotero if I had enough men to chuck into it. So basically, he's just doing that. He's just chucking, it's like a bit of a stalemate trench warfare, and he's just basically, he's gone on for too long. So he's mm. just chucking men into this. So yeah, we meet, um, we sort of meet uh, Commissar, and he's in like a dugout in a trench, but he's sort of, you know, he's quite chirping, and he gets like a message, and he gets his, um, the guy who brings the message for him, he sort of gets him to sit down and have breakfast with him, which is, so you kind of see the character of Gaunt here, where he's like, even though he's a commissar and an officer, he still gets one of his, uh, one of his troopers, and offers him breakfast and sits down with him, and then... And then a bombardment, like like a World War, what I say about World War One, it's like a um, a bombardment starts happening. Well, Bryn Milo sort of he can sense it's going to happen, and he says that's one of the good reasons to have him around. And they say it's because of his excellent hearing, but it's sort of hinted that there might be something else about yeah. Bryn Milo that causes him to be able to be able to react and say that uh, a bombard a bombardment is going to happen. So yeah, yeah, that, that, cause, well well noted on that point, point about Bryn Milo. He's um. Yeah, that's very prevalent later on. <laughs> his, his quotation marks excellent hearing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> his ability to just know when things are going to happen is definitely excellent hearing. Um, uh, yeah, so yeah, you're right. You know, they, they they get bombarded and they're just they're waiting for the, um, uh, the 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 order to go over the top. Right? They they know they need to to get past this this firewall of of shelling. Um, I think. Um, it's, it kind of happens by accident. They kind of go over when they probably shouldn't have <clears throat> and end up actually going way further than they expected and kind of almost being stuck behind enemy lines. Um, which I yeah. it, it, it's kind of crazy because they basically just walk through the, the, the bomb, the, the, the fire um, without really realizing how far they'd got. Um, yeah, I think funny. it's Makarov and Flems, and they send also send like they see them doing really well. So, he t- so Flems with his alter sort of hates Gaunt because he is a political officer that's made it up the ranks. Yeah. So he suggests that maybe why don't you send keep keep put, get him to push forward, basically, and then be out of the line, and then he can sweep in behind him um, and win the day, and, and basically win the day. Yeah, as Gaunt basically kills himself mm, trying mm. to. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they're on this planet, and uh, you know, essentially they they push through. They get separated. I think Corbeck it takes second platoon, and they come across these. It's, it's so crazy. So they're fighting chaos. If if we haven't made that really clear, this this whole Sabat Crusade is to win back huge amounts of the galaxy that have been absolutely decimated by all sorts of chaos warbands. Uh, I mean, sorry, not even warbands like full-on invading armies just conquering planet after planet so it's pretty pretty intense undertaking but anyway so the 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 Corbett and his platoon come across um these kind of drums so it's this like constant bombardment noise always ongoing and it's quite it's quite it's driving people insane yeah um and so just imagine like a room they come it's, it's quite a scary bit this whole like factory full of these big drums 
and then at one point they all hit at the same time because they're kind of all going doing what they want. And then at one point they all bang at the same time, and just one Tanis dude's head just explodes. So like, and then they just go back to drumming at random. So Corbett, thinking he's being smart, forgetting that I mean he's a really smart leader, orders the destruction of these drums without thinking that he'd basically just, you know, blown this building up, this big fire raging out of it, had just basically lit a fire and held it up in the air for all of the artillery that had been shooting their line to now just recalibrate. Yeah, zero back yeah, on it's like, them, oh so. cool, you just, you just put a nice big flag up for us to fire, so that all goes horrendously wrong. Um, but it does mean that Gaunt finds him, um, yeah. and they kind of meet in the middle. And then push forward into the Fortis binary itself. Um, and it's pretty... This all happens so quickly, this this chunk of the book. Um, there's yeah. so much There's so much more after it. It feels like this is the end. Like, usually this would be like the build-up to the end of a story. Like, yeah. you do all this, like, go through this battle, and then there's this huge bit where they get into, like, the, the headquarters or whatever, the main, the the main area. And it, and even like space marines turn up at this point. You're like, oh shit, space marines! This, chaos like, space this would marines. be like, yeah, chaos space marines, iron warriors, I think. Yeah, and usually this would be like the build up to the end of the story. And you're like, but I'm only in like chapter like four or five. This is like, what's going to happen after this? Yeah, it's, so, yeah. It's, it, it, it feels like a short story. <laughs> yeah, was kind of built up off the back of it. But it, I'm not dissing it. It's bloody brilliant. But what I like is they. Um, yeah, so they, they come across this fortress binary, and uh, oh, sorry, this this fortress on fortress binary, and it's essentially where all of the artillery is that's been holding their line back for so long, um, and they they do what any good uh, leaders on their feet do is they go well, we're in their stockpile, so why don't we just set all of that off and just decimate everything, and because the the fortress uses these railway tracks to uh, you know ship the ammunition up and down the line. They just they know where the guns are. They just trigger t- and time all of it, send the cart on its way, and run the other direction. So it just turns up at these cannons and just fucking detonates everything. It's um, yeah. it's really fucking funny, and I I, I really like it. It was Major Rawn, I think, that came up with that because he's a bit of a demolition expert. Yeah, and um, and this is also where the witch thing comes back as well because it's they they find like a monolith, and then he finds a map, and he says, "Oh, there's seven Monolith. I think that's later. I think. No, I think, it, I think it's this one. Is it in here? Or is it... Uh, yeah, this is what I mean. That this whole bit feels like it should be the end of the story. But right, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, they, yeah, there's like these seven stones, and he realises... And I think one of them's out of alignment. Mm. And because the witch said something about align the stones, so he's like... He gets his troops to blow up a bit, so the stone falls back into alignment, and when they all do, all like these chaos... Cultists, or I think they're called the Shriven, aren't they? The Shriven. They've all got like rubber gas masks. They're yeah. like something out of um, Chernobyl or something. Yeah. Um, once yeah, he lines good. them all up, I think they basically just like immediately like just have, lose the will of fight. Like their connection to chaos is severed. Yeah, and they all just something like that. So yeah, yeah, they all just give up. They, yeah, that's you're right. They they detonate. They just shift one of them, don't they? And yeah, yeah, and they just break. Isn't it like there's bodies and around it or something? It's something grotesque. Yeah, like, he, gets, around this. He, he gets a bunch of the men to move the bodies out of the way so they can put explosives down, and it's really yeah. Grim. But like you say, yeah, it leads back to the witch, who's you know break the seven stones or whatever it was she said, and your ghost. So he's probably clearly quite freaked out by this point that stuff 
from 20 years earlier is coming to fruition. But he acts on it, which is a yeah, it's interesting. Like usually most people go like fucking crazy, which especially a connoisseur. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Um, and it's interesting to just point out that there's a regiment called the Jantine Patricians, who are a really sn- they're like the snooty. Um, all went to private school. Yeah. Tory club. Yeah. Bor- Boris Johnson Tory club um, led uh, regiment. But they were actually the regiment that his fa- Gaunt's father served in and, yes. and, yeah. and, and died in service in. Um, so Gaunt has a bit of history with them. They're a really re- well known, renowned regiment. But um, they fucking hate Gaunt. Um, they're just, they hate anyone that they deem as inferior or unworthy of being in the guard. Um, you know, they're sort of rod up their arse all marching, goose-stepping like Nazis, whereas, you know, the, the TANF, are, the TANF, they're pretty rag, rag-tag <laughs> band of, of killers. Um, but they get really fucked off by this because this was their day to win and the TANF win it. So yeah, they, they, exactly. they, they get a little bit, how dare they take this victory away from well, us. Well, they sort of showed them up, didn't they, because they were meant to... They were meant to basically come up and when Gaunt's killed himself, being pushing too far ahead, they were meant to come in and sweep up the win. But actually, no. Gaunt kind of won the day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Jantine positions, it's another um, another thing in their bonnet that they don't like, and they don't like Gaunt already, um, which I don't think has come up in the story yet. So I don't know if we can talk about it. Um, but there's already beef with the Jantine positions between Gorn and the, Jan- the Jantine, so yeah, uh, pretty dark. Um, so then we get another timey wimey bit where it goes back even further to when he's a child. Um, sorry, he being Brent Gaunt. Um, uh, and we find out that he's being, uh, you know, anyone that's a commissar tends to be, or an inquis- inquisitor, tends to be orphans because that's where lonely children get sent. And you find out that Gaunt's uh, father had died, so he had nowhere to go. So his family, family friends, put him into um, this, this, yeah, this school, schoolum, I guess they call it. Um, and yeah, it's pretty cool. He's th- uh, that's all we really know. He meets one other character. I can't remember his name. Blenner. Blenner. Yes, he meets Blenner. Um, <clears throat> who's a bit of a drunk, isn't he? It's like a bit of like a rich, drunk sort of character, but he's yeah. likeable, very likeable. Yeah, but the, when he meets him in school, he's he first meets him cleaning tiles with a toothbrush because he'd been told, you know, he'd got in trouble for fire. Yeah. Was it, uh, Blenner was firing live rounds in training. He was just firing a bolt pistol in training when he shouldn't have been or something like that. So he's obviously got a bit of a rebellious streak, which is not what you want for a commissar, but you, that's where we meet Blenner, they're kids. Um, and then this, this is my favourite bit of the entire story after. So is when it then jumps back to having just done Fortis Binary. The TANF gets some downtime, you know. Everyone needs a bit of recuperation and, and time to drink some booze and smoke some cigarettes. Yeah. And Gaunt is actually always nervous of downtime for his soldiers because it's when soldiers... It's when he has to, well, he should also be relaxing as a commiss- uh, as a as a commander, but as a commissar, his job is to ensure that they don't step out of line, and he's got to be a bit of a school teacher about it. Um, yeah. And his 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 um, what's the word? His instinct, and obviously 
experience because he's in his 30s by this point is very true isn't it he know, he's very right the the ghosts get up to some fucking terrible shit while they're on this planet it's basically a luxury city isn't it, it it's a very contained luxury city for soldiers and even just rich civilians <laughs> to just, yeah it, it's, I think there's a bit there's a bit where they go to like there's, a, there's like a strip joint and um some woman's like stripping but then she gets annoyed because none of the soldiers are paying her any attention because yeah. they're all just too busy drinking or something so. yeah so she just walks off <laughs> yeah yeah but, so there's a couple of stories that happen in this place. It's called is Pirates, uh, I think is the name of the, the place. Yeah, Pirates, Pirates, yeah. I think it's Pirates in the audio book. But yeah, so I'm at, I guess picturesque, it's the upper hive of a hive, essentially, in my head, uh, where you've got rough and disgusting, horrible gangland bit below it, which is what happens in all places, or mm-hmm. out, outside of it on the outskirts. And then you've got this luxury Abu Dhabi in my head, for some reason, you know, the, the senior officers, the commanders, the senior officers, all of that jazz are all wine, di- whining and dining while the soldiers are, strip, like you said, strip clubs, gambling, looking for black market stuff to buy, to sell, to steal. Um, but two, a couple of things happen when they're here. One is that uh, Corbeck spots Ron and a couple of his sort of more underhanded, dodgy, Fagor's his best mate. Um, they Corbett spots them going off in a car or a truck and realizes they're probably not up, they're up to no good. Um, so he follows them secretly as a Tanith is meant to do to make sure that his fellow platoon leader doesn't get himself killed. Uh, the second, the other story, the sort of main story throughout this planet is Gaunt uh, gets that vermilion. Well, he gets a contact, doesn't he? For he gets someone contacting him saying. Um, can you meet me at this place? Um, yeah, so it's very it's, Jason Bourne. It's very Jason Bourne. This scene. Yeah, it's, it's like his old friend. Who is it? I can't remember. Is it? Is it Fer- Ferid? Ferid? Oh, I can't um, remember. I can't remember his name. Uh, he basically he's an imperial agent, so he's like a master spy under um, disguise. Like he he doesn't he has. He works his way into the different things. He kind of looks different at different points, but he basically gets a message from him. And he meets up with a contact in this world, and he gives him like a a ring, like an officer's ring, I think it is. Uh, it's a crystal. A crystal, it's like a crystal in it. And um, but before he can, before he can really find out any more about it, um, they basically get get attacked, yeah. and his and he gets blown up. That guy. So. Yeah. Yeah, um, and then Gort makes a desperate escape because having uh, he's got Bryn Milo with him, who offered him a knife. And literally, Gaunt brought a knife to a gunfight because he realizes <laughs> when he gets in there, all he's got is Bryn's knife. He gets attacked by a bunch of SWAT team, essentially. Um, but he just about makes it out with the help of Blenner. So Blenner wandered, had, had gone with him, drunk as a skunk, but saves his life. You know, kills the two guys that were just about to blast the Gaunt away with hell blasters. So these were like really well kitted troopers. These weren't low key. I think. It's not that important to the rest of the story. It's worth highlighting that the reason Gaunt gets this Vermilion thing is that there's a bit of a power struggle going on at high command. Mm, um, yeah. So these these people that attack Gaunt and Blenner aren't aren't part of the chaos war at all. They are Imperial troopers trying to They're kill good other guys. Quotation yeah, marks. Quotation. <laughs> so it's this higher level CIA FBI fight going on. Yeah. Underneath 
the need for a war movement to work properly. So the people on Gaunt's side that are asking Gaunt for help are Warmaster Makaroth's um, agents, essentially. Um, and the, apparently this is just a regular thing with, with any Warmaster or any, any senior human leadership. They have a full spy network whose task is to ensure that they don't have power struggles. Power struggles are going to happen politically anyway, but it's to stop it happening while there's a war footing of that degree. Yeah. Because if you, if you derail that, billions of people are going to die. So it's really important it's just not done. But as you find, it is happening. There's people trying to push Warmaster Makarov out because they think they should have got the job instead. So, it's, yeah, it's really cool. Um, so, uh, yeah, I guess the only other thing that happens on Pirates is, as we mentioned, <laughs> Major Braun basically goes and rips off a gangster. Um, and you don't see what happens. So, so Corbeck saves him and they, they drive off him and Fagor. And... It's pretty cool. It's only the three of them, isn't it? Yeah. They get chased. They get chased by these like cars worth of gangsters, and Corbett just leads them into a factory, really dark, dingy factory. Yeah, and they do that, that sneaky scout stuff, and then they come back out basically, and they've killed them, killed yeah. like twenty gangsters. <laughs> but what's really funny is you don't see any of it happen. Yeah, it just it's Corbett going. Well, we're ten minutes Tanith. and then they park. And then it cuts to just sort of like an italic after the fact of um, all that happened next was that 20 gangsters died and it went down in history as the most violent gunfight that anyone ever seen. <laughs> However, there were no other dead bodies. And Tanif just killed 20 gangsters over a bunch of um, black market goods, which is basically just booze and fags. Yeah. Uh, and then they take that truck and Corbeck's way of uh, having... Because Rom was obviously taking it to sell to the men of Tanith or any other regiments but Corbett he's going to sell it basically for himself and make yeah, money make, off it make so. money. but Corbett being Corbett just kicks all the boxes open and they share them out to all the men of Tanith Gaunt's just come back by that point from his sort of running with the whoever that was 19 guys are sort of chasing him now as well yeah, so. Yeah. so the Jantine tried to chase Gaunt um, yeah to beat him up essentially for, for making for embarrassing the Jantine positions and they get away get to Corbeck and the boys having a drink and they realise the Jantine realise they've just run into an alleyway full of 50 odd Tanith off their nut on local alcohol yeah. smoking fags and they all just beat the shit out of them <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very good so they shake them up twice now <laughs> yeah 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 it's very good um, so it's a, it's a nice bit of levity that part of the book because it's not war footing it's men with downtime being idiots, um, which I just found really fun to, to read or listen to. It's just a bit different. Um, da, 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 da. So, I think next is there's this whole chunk of the book about them in transit, where they're travelling from downtime to the next war zone. And it's interesting because they're travelling with the Jantine petitions and one of the rules of this ship it's Mechanicus, right? The, depth the Mechanicus mass cargo conveyance. So they basically had to check out all the all the armor and stuff, and they're having to transport troops, which the the the, the captain's not too happy about. He's Mechanicus um, Mechanicus captain, and he'd rather he finds it easy, and he doesn't like dealing with typical Mechanicus doesn't like dealing with fleshy bodies. So he doesn't like their rules. So one of his rules is that you can't have weapons on board, which. Um, 
Yeah, basically it results yeah. in, in everyone carrying chair legs around and whatever <laughs> metal yeah. pole whatever metal pole you've managed to get. Yeah, pipes. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a shame you need it, but it's just a common thing that all commissars know is that there's always regimental infighting. It's like football hooliganism. It just happens. You can't you, you can't always stop it, even though everyone knows it's dumb and you're on the same. You just you're all on the same side, but it's going to happen. Um, it's uh, yeah. So a bit of that happens as the Jantines don't like the Tanith, and they actually go on. A, the Jantines raid the Tanith and kidnap a bunch of them and beat the fuck out of a bunch of them. And we find out it is actually a little bit more sinister than that. Um, for a few of them, they actually are in cahoots with a new character that pops in. Um, this sort of... So we have, we have Colonel Flens as part of the Jantines, who's very embarrassed by not saving the day on Fortis Fort, uh, Binary. Um, so he's in cahoots with this Inquisitor who's on the hunt for some sort of evil MacGuffin. Um, and he wants to trick the... Um, Tanith, right? So that's why they kidnap a bunch of them. It's all very dark and mysterious, that part of the book. It's a bit scary. Yeah, so like, he's, yeah, Gaunt survives an um, assassination attempt from this. They find out the guy was the assassin was like controlled psychically. So they're like, okay, this is kind of, it's kind of getting a bigger, this is like bigger deal now than we originally thought. So, um, they want yeah, that, they, they want the message, right? They want this this crystal thing, whoever it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, we, yeah, as you said, we're introduced to Heldane, who's an Inquisitor, and he's he's described as like having a horse skull head, like under a hood. So he does he he looks creepy, like instantly. And I think there's a bit where he taps into Flens's mind and makes him pierce himself or something. So um, he's a pretty strong psychic character and. Uh, or later down, we find Heldane. He's he's working with Makarov because he wants Makarov to be in charge of the crusade. Because Makarov, his views of what should happen are more in line with what Heldane thinks should be doing, should be going on with this Sabbat crusade. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the main story, the background of those characters. Yeah. So he's he's trying to use the petitions and flens to get to stop Gaunt um, and get the crystal back. Um, and so he, as you said, he, he Heldane captures uh, um, Major Ron, yeah. I think it is. Yeah, it's Major uh, yeah, yeah. So um, the ghosts get a raiding party together, and um, they find him being um, captured and being tortured. And um, I think wasn't it uh, the sniper guy? I can't remember his name now. Larkin. Larkin. Yeah, he, he nicks a, like a really old bolt rifle, basically an actual weapon that fires actual bullets as opposed to Lasguns. light laser, yeah. las guns laser weapons so that somehow got through the, the scanners that's on the ship so he just only blow, basically blows a bit of Heldane's head off yeah. um, so yeah and, and saves and saves uh, Ron yeah and it's it's a nice little um, it's, a, it's a very weird thing the, the situation with Ron because from this point on no one else is suspicious of him but he's been tortured quite significantly like he's bleeding quite badly and he's got head yeah. wound. He's got wounds on him, he's got a head wound and we all know that Ron doesn't like Ron doesn't like God. We know that. But it's 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 hinted that that's gonna be ramped up in some way. Or, you know, uh, he's basically a ticking time bomb, uh, like a weapon for essentially for the for for Flens and uh Heldane. Um, so yeah, Ron, Ron being someone that you're not meant to like that much anyway becomes even more of a like oh look at him he looks dangerous 
Yeah, so basically we already know that Haldane can psychically control people such as the assassins. They're like, hmm, I wonder if he's done something to Rawn to be able to use him as a um, an inside man to get to get to Gaunt. So there, there's this, yeah, this storyline builds up towards the end of the uh, end of the book. Yeah. So we get our last um, time jump backwards, uh, and this is to learn why there's. I mean, we just watched them beat the fuck out of Jantine positions. We've just seen them kill a few of them as well um, to get Rawn back, we, and you know, you can see that they're in the uh, clutches of Haldane. Um, so we get to this point. Where we get. This, bit that jumps backwards and it's um, uh, Gaunt finding the Jantian petitions and he goes and finds his uncle so I don't know if we actually touched on that but Dersius Dersius was his uncle yeah, not real uncle but it's what he called uncle as like a his um, father's best mate yeah, so what you would say yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah, it's what, yeah so his father's best friend uh, and it turns out that actually he is responsible for his father's death um, he, uh, it was dereliction of duty and Gaunt, being a commissar, calls him out on it. And obviously, uh, the, the Dersius had been trying to hide it. And, you know, it's, it's a shame on his career. Uh, he would have been executed by a commissar there and then if it had been known. Uh, so Gaunt challenges him and is pretty horribly wounded, even though he does kill him. Stabs him with a chainsaw, doesn't he? Yeah, it rips like his um, stomach open or something, basically. Yeah. And we see this when, like, whenever Gaunt takes off his shirt, he's literally like, you know, like that, like, Sometimes in Batman in the comics, where he's like just covered in scars, and yeah. there's, there's like this huge scar across his stomach, and, yeah. it, and this is where we find where it comes from. So yeah, yeah. So um, there's a really nice little bit in this this fight actually, where <clears throat> it's a duel with chainsaws, and um, that's actually really uncommon because chainsaws aren't used for dueling; they're used for hacking and slashing through bodies. So there's it's a really weird thing to fight one to one with, um, and I really like the way that was written because. They're clashing, but it's not like a sword where you're pushing. You kind of have to keep hitting and then moving away and pirouetting because I guess it's about the momentum, a bit like an axe. You kind of need to keep swishing with it instead of, you know, you're not parrying or... Yeah, prod, I guess if they, prodding. if they get caught, don't you know, the teeth, like, yeah. jump, cause the swords to jump apart and stuff. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's an odd duel, but yeah. Yeah, um, but he kills him. He kills Uncle Dersius um, and... It's considered quite a dishonour to the Jantine, who had a very pristine regimental record. Um, and I, I don't know what happens to them. I don't know if they get put on like some sort of penitence crusade, or because I'm sure it's more than just Dersius that knew about it. Um, yeah, because it's always hidden from Gorn, isn't it? Like so he never finds out. He every time he asks about how his father died, even when he's like at the commissar school, they're like, "Oh, um, those, those files are, are sealed. We can't." talk about it. so it's kind of hush hush about how his father yeah. dies yeah yeah so he considers it dealt with but the Jantines they, they hold it against Gaunt forever um, so yeah uh, and then it jumps back to now um, and we're in the final phase of the book really which is um, uh, so obviously everyone's rushing to this one planet but it's actually two things going on at once so obviously they're there to take the planet back from chaos but actually the reason the Inquisition, uh, what's his face, Haldane, is there with um, Flens, is they've got word that there's a very powerful MacGuffin, very powerful weapon. No one really knows what it is. Um, they're not told what it is, but you've got Haldane and, and, and Flens trying to get to it because they know that that's what will help them 
get rid of Makarov if they can seize that prize. They can then be, he can, Flames wants to become War Master essentially, but at the same time you've got Gaunt being pushed by the higher ups of Makarov's, you know, uh, what do you call him, Jason Bonds, um, trying to make sure that he can get there first. So it's this weird fighting a war, trying to win an actual battle while dealing with this counterintelligence bullshit in the background. It's quite... And Gaunt hates it as well. Gaunt hate, He's quite straightforward. He just wants to do his job. And this is just being like put on him. Um, so it's, it make, it's really fun to read, isn't it? It's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's... Um, was it the Lord Commander Drevere? And it's his... And there's a really cool bit in this planet because they're basically all landing on this planet. There's like three different landings, and it's all being coordinated. And, and Dravir's like in this massive. He's in like a big tank, huge. Yeah. It's like a Bane blade or thing, but even bigger than Bane blade. I think. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's a command tank, isn't it? It's absolutely yeah. ginormous. Yeah. And it, it's got in like he's even got enough room for him, his own room. And then in the bottom of this tank is where Heldane is being basically kept alive, um, with like. So you find that Heldon has survived the shot to the head, but he's like, or dying, basically. So he's like, um, his wish is to try and get this, to see where Gaunt, basically Gaunt's leading them to this, because he discovered, he decrypted the the crystal, and he knows that there's a bit in this building that he needs to go to. So they're using Gaunt to take them there, and then when Gaunt's there, try and kill Gaunt and take it for themselves, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's Yeah, use him as a puppet. Yeah, and this is where the whole bit of Major Rawn is coming in, like, where there's a bit, as they're going through this, and they're like, hmm, you see Heldane's controlling someone, psychically, and it cuts back to Gorn, and then suddenly Rawn's not feeling very well, and something like that, so you're like, ah, okay, it's what's going on here. Yeah. And, uh, and so as they're doing this, and they're fighting their way through to this area, and um, Gorn, it's like under this uh, building, so they're Gorn, and a few of them jump down into it, and he tells, um, uh, what's his name here? Does he tell Corbett to sort of basically hold the line, sort of yeah. for him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, so so Corbett's left up top. I think it's there's there's a there is a sergeant left up there. Um, he's a bit not a no name character, but he's not one of the big ones. But he's left up there, knowing that basically Gaunt says to him, "I think the Jansen positions are going to attack us. Um, I need a warning." If that's going to happen, so give me. Are you willing to stay with fifty men? And they stay up there, knowing that like two thousand Jantine positions are coming at them. <laughs> yeah, with, yeah. With the uh, with the aim of killing all of the Tanith, um, and they put up a pretty good fight. <laughs> you know, they they hold their own. Um, it's worth. I don't think we touched on the other regiment that came up during the Fortress by Oh, no, the Vitrian Dragoons. Yeah, so they're, 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 they're not... I haven't seen them again since, but they're, they're a nice little regiment. So the Vitrian Dragoons uh, become an ally of Gaunt's back on Fortress Binary, um, and they help destroy the... blow everything up with the railway track stuff. Um, and it turns out that actually the leader, the, the, the colonel, major, whichever one it is... He knows that that, that 50-man squad of, of Tanith will be able to raise the alarm and that will call in the Vitrin Dragoons to basically say, yep, they've played their hand, you're going to have to help us or we're all going to die. Um, yeah. And that's a pretty epic scene, if I'm honest. It's um, it's pretty de- de- 
destructive. It's so destructive and so fucking dangerous. It shows what happens when you get outflanked properly, just how much it absolutely wrecks them. But yeah. it's quite heroic, right? So those fifty, those fifty Tanith that have been left behind to guard the rear of the rest of the Tanith pushing forward to this secret prize. Um, they do get attacked um, and they do get wiped out, but they do take their numbers. They do do a lot of damage. Um, but it's brilliant when they finally get to the next line with Corbeck and that lot, and they're getting ready to attack them. And it's kind of like Rohan on the horizon, you know, in yeah. like Helm's Deep. They, they look to their right and behind them, and they just see a mountain of Vitrian Dragoons just pouring down the hill at them. Um, and they, they shred. <laughs> they fucking shred. They absolutely wipe the. I think that it was, that's it. There's no more. Uh, positions. I think they they get wiped out. They don't exist as a regiment anymore. Yeah, and, and either way, like once once the truth about what happens get, would get out, they would have probably been stricken from the torn. Up. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, taken off the list. Um, I think Flans. You see Flans. He gets killed as well in a in a one to one battle. I think. I can't remember. I can't yeah, remember Flans does have a pretty cool end. Like it is pretty heroic. He takes a heavy stubber and he holds it in one arm. And he's got the whole ammo belt in his other ring. He's just like gunning away. Um, he kills plenty of dragoons, um, but in the end, the, the dragoons save the day and protect the Tanif's rearguard, um, which is pretty rad. Um, so that just leaves the gaunt story. So what what happens there? So yeah, so um, uh, he's joined by I can't remember his name. Is it Ferid? Ferid? Uh, the what? The yeah, yeah, the spy. He's the, the spy, the tactician. He's hidden and disguised himself as a tactician. Um, so he helps them. And they go down into this um, underground complex and you know, there's a few booby traps and things along the way and there's a uh, there's a bit, isn't there, one there, and the guy who's the bomb expert, doesn't he get blinded? Domor. Um, yeah. Yeah, Domor gets his eyes fucked, but he can still hear and that's all he needs. Yeah, and he... So you know, there's a there's a climax a little bit there where he takes all the booby traps out and they get into this into this complex and they find that's an STC, it's a standard template con constructor, if you know your forty K. and this but this one produces uh men of iron or iron men, yeah. depending on dangerous, yeah, dangerous which is, thing. Yeah, which is basically if you know, they're from the dark age of technology where um where they started to make we started to get into Robots that had artificial intelligence, and this is kind of these are basically the things that actually brought down uh, the age of technology and brought down uh, the dark ages, as you were, and brought almost took out took out um, mankind. Yeah, so yeah, was, they're, they're the reason that the Emperor and the Martians have banned AI. AI is seen as insanely heretical because of, <laughs> of there is there is one in the game. In, in the hobby, isn't there? Uh, the Blackstone Fortress game. Yeah, he's disguised, isn't he's it? Disguised, he's he's not. disguised as a robot, but he's actually yeah. one of the Iron Men still alive. Um, which I quite like. That's cool that they actually physically exist. Yeah. In the game. So, and it's pumping these out, but because it's been on this world that's been corrupted by chaos, they're pumping out as chaos corrupted weird things. So they're not quite, quite right. Mm. So they're trying to take these out and they're trying to basically destroy the STC. They feel they have to destroy it before um, it starts pumping, like producing billions of these chaos warped men of iron. And then 
through this, you, get, you keep flashing back to Haldane and controlling, and then suddenly you realise it's not um, it's that major O'Rourke that he's controlling. It's actually uh, Gaunt's friend, the spy, Ferid. Very That's, big, big twist. I remember that the first yeah. time. The first time I read it, that it really caught me out. Um, yeah, because you expect you're expecting it to be major one. So like, it's, it's the guy that's led him here. So the, actually, yeah. fair play to Haldane. He has multi-layered protected himself. He's got two different groups of people looking for the same thing against each other. Which is, if I just control all of the elements that are looking for this thing, I'm going to win. Um, I think that's really cool. I thought it was a very nice little twist. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a good twist. Yeah. Um, but this is where the book got a bit weird for me so Haldane gets killed here because Faya gets killed right but yeah so um, before he can I think Faya's about to kill Gaunt but Major Rawn turns around and shoots him in the face with the fachette um. weapons we haven't talked about those horrible weapons that the Chaos use on that planet yeah. the They do they fire like I couldn't quite work out what they fire, like what their weapons do, but then when they hit, they just seem to explode everything. Incinerate, yeah, it just goes. It's pretty fucking grim, but he hits him straight in the face with one of those, doesn't he? And the psychic resonance, that's it. The backlash is what kills Heldane. Yeah, he wasn't like guarding himself against it because he's pretty weak, so yeah, it kills Heldane, and when then Heldane explodes in this bottom of this. Command tank, which he's a then kills, <laughs> which kills Trevere, So Yeah, it blows the entire thing up and basically removes all of Gaunt's enemies in one go, which is pretty hilarious. Yeah, um, and they and, and they destroyed the corrupted STC. Yeah, you know, the usual. You know, it gave through that story. Yeah, don't yeah, get too much in detail, but yeah, I, I think the the only bit that my, my main criticism is how long it takes, how long it takes Gaunt to get out of that cave. Yeah, really quickly. <laughs> yeah, it is so long. But yeah, it's um because it, they set their charges for like three hours or something, and then it's just over. It's like, why did you make it three hours? Like, <laughs> why did you just say ten minutes? I don't know how big the yeah, game yeah. is. I find it really odd. Um, I guess this, the end of the book felt a bit rushed, I think, in the end, to me. Yeah, it was kind of like... yeah definitely. It felt like, oh, we'll get it out, get it done, deadline. Um, I think and, and the STC was a bit, as you say, a bit MacGuffin. It was more about the Haldane... Uh, that sort of aspect of you know, who's he controlling and yeah it felt more in line with that rather than the STC just felt like a thing just for them to all come together at yeah. one point yeah I'd agree I'd agree um, yeah and then we get the, the last the last bit of the book is gone talking to the witch again um, but obviously been not, not again but it cuts back to 20 years before when he's a cadet um, and he's talking to her and yeah uh, it, it's strange because I've had that in mind while going back through books two and three uh, in the aud- in, on, on Audible um, nothing comes up again so I don't really don't feel like it needs oh, to I, I, yeah I was actually going to say one bit that we do find at the end is Flens you know he's actually the son of Dersius so that's why he hates Gaunt so much because uh, he killed his father yes yes that's a good point I forgot yes. about that a bit yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. so Flens had his, had his name changed didn't he yeah, it's um, yeah, it's wonderful, and it's it's a really strong, long-running series. Gone. Um, I'm hoping we do some more of these. Um, I've just done the second one. I'm nearly finished the third one. I think four and five are on Audible as well, and then twelve, thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen on Audible. For some reason, they haven't. Cause I, I think it's the way they've been released. 
when they started doing uh, audiobook recordings, it was when Abnet had started writing more of them again. So to promote those books, he they did the audible audible versions of them as well. And now they're going back and doing the back catalogue. So it's a bit strange that if you start at number one as a novice, you'll only be able to get up to number five on Audible, and then you've got to wait for the rest to then go and do the ones that are already out on Audible, which I think is book 12 onwards. Yeah, um, become like an omnibus. I was looking at publication dates. He's, they were published basically every year, one a year, 1999, 2000, some yeah. of them two a year. So yeah. he... Cracked, cracked them out. Yeah, like. yeah, he really did. Yeah, I mean, it's. Pr- I did, I'm sure he had a gap because um, I remember when one of them came out. Yeah, I think between thirteen and fourteen, two thousand eleven to two thousand seventeen. So. Yeah, yeah, because I remember that sev- that whatever the seventeen one that came out. I remember the Black Library website being like crashing <laughs> because people were so desperate to order it. Um, <laughs> it's hugely popular. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I, I love it. I love Dan Abnett. We've said that a million times on here. Um, and uh, I, I've got fond memories of the Omnibus, the first three books. Um, it was one of the first books I remember buying. Um, and I remember taking on holiday and doing the whole thing in a week, like the whole Omnibus. It's just one of those nice memories. Um, I think it stands out is that you know it's a good book because the character of Gorn, it is recognisable. Even I haven't even read the book before now, but I knew who who Gaunt was so yeah. just having such a strong character be standalone even outside of the books just as, as the lore in general is a good yeah it's kind of like Eisenhorn as well Eisenhorn sort of stands out um, from his outside of his own work outside of his own books so, yeah, yeah yeah he's one of the rare rare characters that uh, well and ranges that has models made because mm. of the book you know it's not it's not like Dante who has books because of the model and the game They've made stuff because of the popularity of these books. Um, and funny enough, one of our dear friends bought me the Gaunt model a couple of years back, actually. And it's it's in a box waiting to be painted. But you can't get it anywhere. It's on eBay for silly money. Um, but he knew how much I liked it. Very nice of him. Um, and you can you can get the Tanif models as well. There's a Corbeck. Um, I think there's a Rawn. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I think there was like a little... Um... Like a command group, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think it was like a diorama, um, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's that's the end of the episode, really. Um, I think we haven't decided what we're doing next, but I think we're due a hobby episode, so we should definitely um, get around to recording that soon. But yeah, thank you for listening. Um, I've, I think that's it, Jamie. You got anything else you'd like to add before we go that I might have forgotten? Um, no, I think it's. Read, if you haven't read the series, I'm sure actually a lot of people who've since I've probably read read the series but if you haven't I suggest it's well worth a read it's really good yeah definitely I love it I really really love it um, cool I'm going to call it a night uh, thank you for listening good night good night